Welcome to Inspired Edinburgh, the home of powerful conversations. I'm Elliot Reeves and my guest today is Sam Conley. Sam is a body transformation specialist and one of Ireland's most sought after fitness coaches. You boast one of the longest lists of client success stories because you fully understand the challenges that people face, having gone from a 21 stone compulsive overeater to a 14 stone competitive bodybuilder winning Mr. Body Transformation Ireland and Europe in the same year. You're a speaker, a podcaster, founder and owner of HQ Fitness Academy, and through your one-to-one -one and online training programs, you help clients and individuals transform their bodies and lives as you yourself have done. Sam, it's absolutely incredible to have you here. Welcome to the show. Such an honour, Elliot. Thank you so, so much for asking me. <laughs> I, I love this city. I mean, I've, I've gone on record as saying it's my favourite city in the world, which <laughs> people back home might not be too happy about, but, <laughs> but I'm so, so glad to be here. It's fantastic, yeah. And it's, I've been following you, obviously, as we've discussed in the past as well, and I love yeah. what you do. So Thank you so much. I just think it's great to hook up. It absolutely is. Yeah. I, there's, a, there's a funny sense that this uh, we had this... Meant for me. Yeah, I think so. I think so. Yeah. yeah. My, my mother always beginning. had a saying, what's for you will not go past you. That's and it. I, I think that's very relevant. In this oh, 100%. Yeah. 100%. Very relevant. Love it. Love it. And and your story, I have to say, having done a bit of research and listening to your, your new podcast is just amazing. And Well, I appreciate that. Thank you. Yeah. The podcast was a complete accident. Is that it's, right? Yeah. It's something somebody said to me a few weeks ago. I've heard your story. You should be doing a podcast. It's Absolutely. crazy that you don't have a podcast. And that was on a... That was on a... Thursday or Friday, and my first episode went out the following Monday. So, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it? so it's it's not perfect by any means, but done beats perfect. So. Well, that's it. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. But um, the the way in which you tell your message, your honesty is really just something else. I found that that's what works for me. Yeah. To be honest with you, so whether it is my secret eating or my binging or some of the things I've been through in the domestic front or whatever the case may be, this year. On the mental health side of things, yeah. I have found that when I'm open and honest about that, it helps me, to yes. be honest with you, yeah. but it seems to help other people too. And it seems to, I don't know, maybe give people hope. I mean, I've had messages from people to say, you know, I've given up on this. And then I heard your story and I heard that you had given up too. Mm -hmm. And look what you've done in the past few years. So maybe there's hope for me too. And yeah. if I hadn't been really honest about what I've been through, then a lot of my transformations probably would never have happened, to be honest with you. It was me yeah. sharing my own vulnerable side, if you Absolutely. like. Absolutely. Yeah, because sometimes, yeah. you know, people look like at somebody like me that has competed a few times and as a PT or whatever the case may be, and mm -hmm. they forget that that I struggled too and yeah. that I've been there. And that's I think that draws a certain type of client towards me as well. Definitely. Because they uh, they know I've been there and I know how it feels. Mm -hmm. Yeah, mm -hmm. without a doubt. Hmm. Awesome stuff, Sam. So, I mean, in the beginning, if we can go back to, you know, where you were born, your early years as a sort of way of uh, introducing yeah. yourself. I mean, yeah, tell me a bit about that. Well, I'm, I'm 44 now, so obviously I was born in the Troubles in Northern yeah, Ireland. Yeah, yeah, Okay, and, and Northern Ireland is a fantastic country and I'm very proud to be from Northern Ireland. It's a very different place now mm -hmm. for my two daughters to grow up and to what it was back then and you have the whole religious divide and everything else. And then you have a third element to that because I was born into a police family. <laughs> so, and I can remember my father always saying, look, there's three religions in Northern Ireland, son. There's Catholic, Protestant, there's police, and they all hate us, so, <laughs> <laughs> which is a great way to look at it. So, so I grew up with that. Mm -hmm. You know, I was a child of the troubles, as, as it's trendy to say now, but okay. you didn't know anything else. And it was, 
it was difficult and I can remember that because I was a police family probably. Mm -hmm. I talk to people now that are similar ages to me and they don't remember half the things that, that I remember because it was very relevant to me obviously with my father of doing course. the job that he done. But yeah. it was, um, yeah, it was a challenging time to, to grow up in Northern Ireland, there's no doubt about that. But I was from a very, very traditional, hard-working family mm -hmm. basically. Um, I mean, when I passed my 11 pluses we had in Northern Ireland to go to, to grammar school, that wasn't particularly common in the family, so that was a fairly big deal. And when mm -hmm. I look at it now, somebody, somebody said this a few weeks back, you know, how were you maybe conditioned in some way as you were growing up? And I, I grew up and I never had to, to look for love because there was so much love there, but it mm -hmm. was nearly like a don't get ahead of yourself mentality or pride comes before a fall mentality. Hmm. Do you know what I mean? And yeah. for me to be doing what I'm doing now, coming from that wouldn't fit at all. Yes. Do you know what I mean? It was yeah, like yeah. everybody has their place and their pecking order and I kind of <laughs> broke out of that mould a wee bit by going to grammar school at that time. So hmm. to do what I'm doing now would be completely, you know, that was for other people, that wasn't for us <laughs> really? some type of yeah, thing. Okay. Yeah, so that's the, that's the type of background that I had. But I mean, so so much love there obviously my father had been working very long hours and working away and so on but my mother was an amazing woman and mm -hmm. um, I grew up with my brother and as I say we had a fantastic upbringing from that point of view we didn't we certainly weren't rich by any means but we didn't want for anything yes. and certainly not love yeah and yeah. Northern Ireland being Northern Ireland as it was you were well fed <laughs> <laughs> exceptionally well fed and you didn't leave the 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 plate and, you know, with food on it or yes. whatever, you didn't get up from the table until your plate was finished, which doesn't help me having a <laughs> having a weight problem. Sure, but it was um, that's just the type of family that it was. So, but I mean, <laughs> I've I've great memories of my childhood from that point of view. I try and explain to my daughters now that back then I was the fat kid in the class, okay. whereas now it's it saddens me massively to see how that has almost reversed and it's yeah. it's almost commonplace. Yes. Now, and my two daughters would nearly be the opposite in so much as they don't have a, a weight issue. And that's yeah. that's something that when they were born, I vowed would never happen because that mm -hmm. still haunts me to today. What I went through as being the, the fat kid in school, in particular primary school. I mean, I have some shocking memories of primary school. Really? Of being bullied for my weight, yeah. What's the earliest that you remember being That would bigger? be back to sort of probably like primary four, primary five, so maybe like eight or nine, something mm -hmm. like that there. I knew it was an issue then because you would have been, wasn't the first time I'd have been kicked around the playground and called Fatty Conley or had my head flushed down the toilet. Jesus, or, okay. Yeah, I can remember that very, very clearly. At, at grammar school, it wasn't, it wasn't as physical as that. It was more the uh, bit of name calling and jibing. And I mean, I said this in, in one of my seminars a couple of weeks ago and somebody said, I can totally relate to what you said there, but in PE, because mm -hmm. we didn't have the fancy bibs and everything else that you have to differentiate the two teams now. So it was shirts and skins. skins. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And that haunted me. Mm. I mean, absolutely haunted me. I know probably today it, it's probably against your human rights or something to do probably. that. But back then it was the done thing and you just sucked it up and you got on with it. And mm. I would have been getting jibes in the, in the changing rooms afterwards about having bigger boobs than the other guys' mums and stuff like that there. So... That, and you know what, that mm. stuff sticks with you. Yeah. I mean, I can remember I, I couldn't fit into Levi 501s and they were the thing mm -hmm. to have then. Mm -hmm. And God help my poor mother, like we went everywhere trying to find a big enough size in 501s mm. so that I could have a pair like all my friends. 
and they just didn't make them big enough for me. Mm -hmm. That was just the reality of the thing. So from a weight point of view and from my background, that stuff sticks with me. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, totally. And, and I have clients I work with now and I'll talk about things like that and they'll say, yeah, that happened to me too, but it was X or it was Y or it was Z or yeah, whatever. Yeah. So it's, I mean, I have fantastic memories of my childhood and happy memories and I loved school and I done well at school, but it's only now really that I think back to those things and yeah, I think yeah. what an impact they had on me. Of course, yeah. Massive I mean, impact. I can, I can fully relate myself to, yeah. to what you're saying, yeah, mm -hmm. totally. And that's that's not something I would ever have spoke about before. Yes. You know, up until I lost the weight myself or whatever, that was that was something that was firmly locked away, mm. supposedly to stay in the past. But, you know, the more this has happened to me now and it comes out and I talk to other people and somebody like yourself will say, yeah. do you know why I relate to that, Sam? I totally, totally relate yeah. to what you're saying. I think, you know, I didn't forget that. Mm -hmm. Definitely didn't forget it. I'd, I'd pushed it away to the back of my mind, obviously, but yeah. it was still there. But you kind of have to, I think. Absolutely, without a doubt. In order to actually kind of cope. But then again, for me, as I grew up, I wanted to disassociate myself from fat as much as possible. Yeah. You know, I wanted to be the ultimate people, people pleaser, keep a nice steady ship. For God's sake, don't mention the word fat. Yes. <laughs> you know, if I was in company and somebody used the word fat, even though it wasn't about me, yeah, yeah, I could still... feel my face getting red. It might as well have been me they were talking to. Yeah, so, yeah. so those memories and whatnot, I, I didn't want to think about that, obviously. That was all firmly packaged away in the past. Mm -hmm. But something I recognise now does do damage. There's no doubt about oh, that. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Definitely does do damage. And we talk about fit shaming and fat shaming and all the rest of it. And I see so much of that now yeah. on social media. But back then it was fine to, to call me Fatty Conley or to kick yes. me around the playground or say I was Fat Sam or whatever the case may be. Whereas thankfully today you wouldn't get away with it to some yeah. extent. Yeah, absolutely. But back then you did. Yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah. Yeah. We'll, we'll, we'll circle back to um, your, your weight loss journey, yep. transformation, all that sort of good stuff. Um, so when you were growing up, I mean, what were your career aspirations? Where did you see your career path going? That's a funny one, actually, because <laughs> <laughs> this is the first chapter in my book. So okay. when you get the chance to read my book, which you will, because I'll be sending you a copy. <laughs> <laughs> I look forward to it. You're going to read about this, actually. But from I was about age four or five, from I started primary school, I knew exactly what I wanted to do when I left school, and that was to follow my father and to the Royal Austrian Constabulary, the, the police. Yeah. I wanted to be a policeman. Hmm. That's all I wanted to do. That's all I thought about. It was, it was an obsession. It was an absolute obsession with me. I was absolutely fixated on it. And for a lot of people growing up at that time, it would probably have been the last thing that they would want to do. Yeah. Because they, they saw the risk and they saw the the death and the threats and yeah. the murder and, and all the rest of it. And I, I saw that firsthand. I mean, it touched my town just like it touched every other town in Northern Ireland. But all that set aside, that's all I wanted to do. And I mean, right through primary school, right through secondary school. And it's weird because it was like I could never imagine myself doing anything else. It was like the most really? natural progression. It was just going to happen and that was it. So yeah. when I was doing my, my A-levels and all my friends were putting in their, um, I think it was a UCAS application, you called it at that time, to whatever yeah. university to do whatever course. I was like, no, I'm just going straight into the police training college. That's, there's no point in me wasting time here putting in <laughs> university applications. And, and school didn't take that very well, actually, because at grammar school then it was, you know, 99% went to university yeah. or whatever and this guy's going to try and buck the trend and says he's going to join the police but i was like 
this is what I'm doing and there was no that was just a black or white issue with me mm -hmm. and I mean my application form went done on my 18th birthday and that was it. as soon as I was really? able to apply I applied yeah absolutely but I didn't get in <laughs> <laughs> that's another story <laughs> no I didn't I didn't get in and I, I mean I physically couldn't see myself I don't even know how I would put that into words it was just a foregone conclusion that that's what I would do I mean I can remember standing one Sunday afternoon and my mother letting me try my father's police hat on in front of the mirror and I can see that so clearly today yeah. and I can remember seeing that reflection of myself and thinking yeah this this is going to happen and and I can remember thinking and you know what I'm going to be really good at this too mm -hmm. up until that point I was never I was good at school and I'd done well at school but I was on the rugby team because I was I was the size to be a prop do you know what I mean yeah. I was I was never good at anything Okay. And I can remember thinking, this is this is the thing that I'm going to be really good at. I'm going to be really good at this job. And the one thing that didn't ever come onto my radar was that my weight would be the reason that it wouldn't happen. Mm. So that's another very vivid memory that I have. The day that I went to do my entrance exam, as they talked about, and the first thing, the recruiting sergeant, and he was a lovely man. I can you know, I can see him so clearly, Sergeant Richardson, I'm pretty sure he was called. But he, it was based on BMI, so it was height versus weight ratio, which yeah. is, I believe, is total nonsense. Because at, <laughs> yeah. at my, at my leanest stepping on stage, I would be termed obese. Yes, yeah. Okay, because it doesn't <laughs> factor in muscle mass or body composition or anything else. But it was a simple BMI chart, mm -hmm. and I fell into the obese, morbidly obese, or whatever. And I can remember him turning around and saying, "Son, I'm sorry, I can't take your application any further." Jesus. You're too heavy. And that's and that instant that was that a lifetime of dreams shattered. Mm -hmm. And when I look back on it now, how crazy was that? Because knowing what I know now, that was three or four months work to lose a few stone or whatever, redress that balance and go and chase my dreams and do what I always wanted to do. Mm -hmm. And yet I just rolled over and played dead. Mm. It's crazy. And just gave up on my dreams there and then. In that one day standing in that room it's mad absolutely mad but that's the type of person i was then so i mean knowing what you know now what, what do you think it was then that blocked you from making that change there's probably a few different things i mean i had been dieting for want of a better word mm -hmm. from my teens okay and it's it's amazing the many people i work with now that say to me do you know what yeah i can relate to that you know, I was conscious of my weight and being too heavy. I can remember, and I'm really showing my age now, I can remember buying Exchange and Mart magazine. Okay, okay, yeah. And going through it, and there was this article in the, inside the back cover for weight loss pills. And I can remember sitting and thinking, there you are, that's the answer. So that's, that's what, well over 20 years ago when they were mm -hmm. probably 40 or 50 pounds then, which I couldn't afford, but I can remember thinking, this is it. This is the answer to my problem here. Yeah. I can remember before this even happened with the police thing, so I was definitely in my teens, seeing the first ad for Slimfast, hmm. for the shakes coming on, and thinking, this is it, problem solved, I'm going to be thin. You know, when I would lose a stone in a, a week or ten days or whatever, it would fall off me, and then I'd rebound like crazy. So I'd okay. lose a stone, I'd put a stone and a half back on. So I was forever caught in this perpetual cycle of failure yeah. where diets were concerned. Mm -hmm. And I mean, I reached a stage, Elliot, where 
I'd pretty much resign myself to the fact look, you're just fat and that's just the way it is. There's nothing you can do about it. I just completely given up on it. I chased it for as long as I could. Mm -hmm. I'd taken battering after battering where that would happen. And I mean, I see this with clients now every week. Do you know what I mean? People come to me with the same story. Yeah. Oh, Sam, you know, I've done this, done X, Y, and Z, and you know, I lost a stone, so it worked. And then I put a stone and a half back on, and I'm trying to say to them, well, it didn't work then. Mm -hmm. Do you know what I mean? Because every time mm. that happened, there's nothing worse than that feeling of failure. Yeah. There's nothing worse than that feeling of, you know, why can I not do this? What is it about me? And then you start to believe all the bullshit that you tell yourself. Mm. You know, if people come to me with a plethora of excuses as to why they can't lose weight, you know, and it's cringy because I think I, I, I said all that shit too. <laughs> and, and none of it's true. Do you know what I mean? You just, you're eating too much. Mm -hmm. The one thing I would never admit that I was doing was eating too much. Mm. You know, I would have blamed my genetics. I would have blamed stress. I would have blamed anything under the world rather than the fact that I'm eating too much. If I had addressed the fact that I was eating too much when I was 18, then that would have unlocked that career for me. But yeah. again, as I said earlier on, what's meant for you won't go past you. Yes. So it just wasn't meant for me. Not at that time, I Not guess. at that time. Yeah. Not at that time at all. Uh -huh. And then the funny thing is, what did pop up on my radar was the, as I told you earlier, about how I love this place so much. And I mean, I, I seriously contemplated moving here. And that would have been another option um, because mm -hmm. my father didn't want me to join the police back home. Okay. He always would say to me if it was the same force that he joined, he would want me on it, but it was changing so rapidly at that stage and everything else. But he had friends in the police over here and he said, look, if, if you're telling me it has to be the police and you won't settle for any other career, go to Scotland, go to Scotland and be a policeman over there. And I was involved with the pipe band scene and so on at that stage too, because there's Scottish blood in my veins yeah. coming from my father, my grandfather was in the King's Own Scottish Borders. Yeah. And that was an option at a stage for me too, but it still wasn't there you see it wasn't I had that crest ingrained in my mind that I was going to do so for me yeah, it yeah. felt like second best really and I couldn't do it mm -hmm. but it, um, it's crazy when I think back now because only I know how badly I wanted that nobody has a clue how badly I wanted that job yeah and yet my weight was the one thing that stopped me from having it mm -hmm. but as I say that's the first chapter of the book taken care yeah. of yeah yeah totally <laughs> So it's, it's interesting that there's kind of the two things running parallel. There's the weight loss journey, but your career path. And I'm kind of cognizant that I don't want to derail, uh, you know, where we're going. But so if we focus on the, the sort of career just now, I mean, how did your career unfold? You, you didn't get into the police. What no. did you what I, did I, you do? I went through various sales jobs. Um, I suppose at the back of my mind, nothing was ever going to compare yeah. to what I really wanted to do, if that makes sense to you. Mm -hmm. um, I got into car sales then, okay. almost by accident. Um, and that was probably, setting aside what I do now, that would have been my happiest times, yeah. I would say. Um, because I was very fortunate in a couple of the places that I worked in and a couple of the characters that I worked with. And that taught me a lot. Mm -hmm. um, and I mean, it was long hours and it was high stress, but it was good crack. Do you know what I mean? A couple yeah, yeah. of places in particular that I worked in, only for the fact that the guys that you were working with and the crack and banter that we had, you would have said, screw this for a carry on. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? I can't be dealing with this. But yeah. I suppose somewhere inside me, I had 
I mean, I cared about what I'd done, do you know what I mean? And I wanted to do it to the best of my ability. So mm -hmm. I had this wee niggle behind the scenes that I wanted to be self-employed okay. and do it for myself. Yeah. So, I mean, I'm self-employed now, what, almost 20 years, Jeez. I suppose. Yeah. So, and that, how that came about is I went from a, a car dealership where I was selling really nice prestige cars, really nice prestige cars, mm -hmm. um, to my own wee car lot in the town where that I'm actually from, Limavati, with, I mean, big enough to hold about 10 cars maximum in a wee porta cabin. So I went from the Hugo Boss suit and uh, driving the nice Mercedes and the BMWs and all the rest of it and selling that sort of car to that sort of client to my own wee car yard <laughs> in my hometown with really? about 10 grand to my name. And I can remember having a conversation with one of my finance reps at the time and saying, look, this wee car lot's coming up and I'm thinking of having a go. What do you think of the whole idea of going out on your own in the car trade? Mm -hmm. And he goes, look, if, you know, you could probably do it with like a hundred grand. And I'm sitting thinking, fuck, well, I've about a tenth of that. <laughs> <laughs> so, so my stock went from selling 20 and 30 grand prestige cars mm -hmm. to selling 500 to 1,000 pound runabouts, basically. Really? But it was my own. Yes. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? And yeah. everything I'd done, and if I'd done an 80 hour a week, then it was to benefit me. Of course, yeah. It yeah. wasn't to benefit somebody else. <laughs> so that was kind of the turning point for me. And then it's crazy how things, how things weaved from there because um, myself and my mates were on the motorbikes and one of my mates said to me, look, I need to, I'm looking rid of my motorbike. I need to sell my motorbike. Would you take it down to the car lot and, and see if you could sell it for me? Mm -hmm. So I took it down and it sold straight away. So I thought, hmm, could be onto something here. So I bought another one and it sold straight away. So then all of a sudden my stock was about 50% cars and 50% motorbikes and the motorbikes were selling faster than the cars. Okay. And there was a trend because my clients were all coming from Derry or Londonderry, which is the, the closest city just up the road about 20 minutes away. Mm -hmm. So I thought, right, do you know what? Let's do this. So I closed the car yard down and I opened the motorbike shop in Derry, which I had for over 10 years then. And that's when everything started to happen then, basically. So that was plugging away and it was fine and I was doing some online sales of parts and clothing and all the rest of it. So I was channeling my inner Alan Sugar at that yeah. stage. <laughs> I'm trying to, because I never had a lot of money, so I was having to make the best use yeah. of what I had and, mm -hmm. and what I lacked in funding, I had to make up for and graft, basically. So, yeah. And I took chances. And, you know, I went out on a limb with products and things like that there. And then I just started, um, I'd said to you about the motorbike accident that I had. And that's how that came about. Because okay. at that stage, uh, motorbikes in England and Scotland were cheaper than what they were in Northern Ireland. So there was more demand than there was supply. Oh, okay. So I would go on to eBay or Autotrader and see a motorbike for sale just from a member of the public. And I'd buy that and I would fly over and I'd ride it home. And I'd put it into the shop and I'd oh, sell it. And right. I was doing this week after week. And that's, I had a really bad accident bringing one home then. And that put the end to that. So um, I rode a bike off here in Scotland, actually. And had some pretty nasty, I should have been killed probably. That Jesus. The injuries were so bad. Mm -hmm. So that's, there was always that entrepreneurial yeah. spirit there, I feel like. Yes. And that's, I threw myself into my work because I was so unhappy in so many other ways. But. But I didn't really recognize that at the time because, as I say, my weight was the one thing 
just you don't talk about that. That's just the elephant in the room. Because I have, I can remember people when I lost all the weight. Then I can remember one guy in the shop saying to me, he says, "I'm so glad to see you losing all that weight." And I said, "Why? What do you mean?" He says, "I drove past the shop one day, and he says you were on the phone at the front of the shop, and I turned to my wife and I said, there's a wee fella who's never going to see forty if he carries on the way he's going because I was getting so big, really? obviously at that stage, yeah." Jeez. So I, I knew in my heart of hearts, I can remember thinking, you know, I love my wee business and all the rest of it. Do I want to be doing this for the rest of my life? No. But part of me was probably, I don't know, balancing that off to the fact it's not the place, so I'm never going to be happy anyway. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yes. It, was as, it was as good as it was going to get from that point of view, just yeah. like my life was as good as it was going to get at that point of view. Mm -hmm. From a weight point of view, from the fact that it was in a marriage, that I wasn't happy in or whatever. This is as good as it's going to get, Sam. Yeah. Which for somebody in their mid to late thirties, that's pretty sad. Yeah. But really but to the outside world, I had the nice house in the country, I had the nice car and the motorbike, and I had my own wee business and all the rest of it. So mm -hmm. he's doing all right. Do you know what I mean? Everything's great there, and it was. And I don't mean to sound ungrateful, but it was going through the motions in my thirties. Huh. Yeah. And that's why I'm so passionate about what I do now, yes. because you know I have people and I could. <laughs> you know, I could shake them sometimes because I'm saying to them, you're on the verge of something that you've no idea how amazing it could be <laughs> if you just get off your arse and tackle that one thing that's holding you back. Mm -hmm. Just like I did then. Mm -hmm. You know, here's somebody that had given up in their life in their 30s. Yeah. How crazy is that? Do you know what I mean? I have people come to me now in their 60s, taking on board what I'm saying and what I'm doing and the help that I can give them and changing their life around in the most amazing way in their 60s. Yeah. And there was me in my 30s, giving up. Mm. It's mad, yeah. absolutely mad. But as I say, I mean that that business taught me loads of lessons. I would probably, you know, I could be as passionate and knowledgeable a coach as I wanted to be today. Yeah. But I got a great grounding in business. Oh uh, yeah, yeah. It's <laughs> doing true. what I done beforehand, so yeah. that, that has stood me in good stead. But what I was going to say as well, though, you know, people who haven't been in that situation yeah. struggle probably to empathise with what it's actually like. Oh, you know, absolutely. they can only understand it kind of intellectually. You can't put yourself in somebody's shoes. Absolutely, and that's, um, oh, that gives me such an advantage. Yes. Such an advantage. 100%. I mean, I've lost count of the number of times people have contacted me to say, look, I'm coming to you because you've walked in the trenches. Yes. That I'm in. You know how it feels. You mm. know what I'm going through. Yeah. And, you know, as some of them will say to me, you clearly know what it takes to get from where I am now to where you are. So, mm. you know... I'm prepared to put my trust in you for that reason. Yeah. And I know from me, personally speaking, somebody who has never been there, who doesn't know what it feels like to be fat, who doesn't know what it feels like to be ashamed of what they see in the mirror or to cringe when the word fat is mm. used in conversation. I mean, if I'd, if I'd come to see you six or seven years ago, the first thing I'd be doing now is getting that cushion <laughs> around in front of me or whatever. Do you know what I mean? That That's wee things that that I know what it feels like mm -hmm. and I can pick those signs up. When I do my seminars now, I mean, I've got really good at reading the people in the seminars and there's been, there's been situations where at the end of the seminar, I've made a beeline for somebody and said, listen, I need a couple of minutes of your time. Whether you come and work with me or not is irrelevant, but there's things I've picked up on mm. in the course of that, that that I need to put your mind at ease on because I see that in them, yeah. the same feelings that I had back mm -hmm. then. So empathy whatever you want to call it people look at it and say well he knows that fella knows the crack yes <laughs> he knows what it feels like yeah and that doesn't mean that i'm gonna 
go easier on them. Mm -hmm. If anything, in some situations, it maybe means I'll go harder on them. Yeah. Because I know they're on a verge of something that maybe for the first time in their life they need to wake up to the bullshit and the lies that they're telling themselves and the excuses that they're making and I'll be the first person mm. to shake that tree then yeah. and take away their wee comfort blanket. Mm -hmm. And sometimes people have been to a seminar and heard that and gone away hating me because I've done that. Okay. Do you know what I mean? I've pulled away their comfort blanket and they've gone away and they've said, don't like that guy, don't like that guy at all. And then they'll message me three months later or a year later and say, I heard you speak last year and you know what? Uh, you're right. <laughs> so what do we do now? Yeah. Do you know what I mean? And I'll never please everybody. Oh, well, that's it. No, I'm not Nutella, so I will yeah. not. <laughs> I, I will never please everybody. <laughs> and <sighs> I empathise with people. And a client could phone me at midnight because they're about to binge in chocolate, mm. and I'll sit and talk to them for two hours, and I'll help them, and I'll be there for them, and all the rest of it. Mm -hmm. But they give me a bullshit excuse or something like that. I'll come down on them like a ton of bricks because yeah. I know that's. That's what that's what it needs yes. to save them from themselves. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, totally. Because anybody that signs up to work with me, I want them to experience. I mean, look at my life today compared <laughs> to six, seven years ago. It's not even recognisable. Mm -hmm. And that's a that's a flaw that I have because everybody that comes to to work with me, I want them to experience that. Yes. And that's not always possible. No, exactly. Because not everybody wants it that badly, mm -hmm. but it'll not be for the want of me trying. Yeah. That's for sure. <laughs> I've I've got two questions for you, Sam. Uh, which kind of tie in with one another. What were your eating habits and what do you think was the underlying reason for your eating? Okay. My eating habits were very simple. If you had said to me up until six, seven years ago, mm -hmm. why are you fat, Sam? I wouldn't have wanted you to say that because I, <laughs> yes. I would have broke my heart. Yeah. But if you had said to me, my answer to you would have been, I have no idea, Elliot, because I eat nothing. I have no idea why I'm fat because I eat nothing, okay? And you'll be amazed how many people come to me now with stones and stones and stones of weight to lose that tell me the same thing. You know, see, before we start here, Sam, I, I don't really understand why I'm the weight that I am because I eat nothing, eat absolutely nothing. Well, that sounds familiar <laughs> <laughs> because do you know what? I said exactly the same thing and do you know what? It wasn't true and it's not true in your case either, but what I would my eating pattern would have been I would have, I got really good at starving myself because people probably looked at me 21 stone mm -hmm. and a 44 inch waist and thought, why doesn't that fella do something about his weight? Do you know what I mean? Do you know what? It wasn't for the want to try him. Mm. But I set myself up for a fail every single day. I wouldn't eat breakfast. I wouldn't eat anything mid morning. I wouldn't eat lunch. I wouldn't eat anything mid afternoon. I would starve myself because I so desperately wanted to be thin. Mm -hmm. Because I liked my nice clothes and all the rest of it. And the fact that I was getting to the stage where I couldn't get boss jeans to fit me anymore or whatever mm -hmm. the case may be, that was wrecking my head. Okay, so my way of dealing with that was, well, if I don't eat, I have to get thinner. Okay, and that would be the case. But what happened with me was I could go so many hours. So, I mean, if I said to somebody, I don't know why I'm fat because I eat nothing, that would have been true every day mm -hmm. up until half five when I was driving home. And in that 20 to 30 minute drive home, mm. when I had my multi-pack of Mars bars and I had my family bag of Minstrels and my family bag of Maltesers and my two bottles of Lucasade, mm. that was the reality of it. Mm -hmm. I'd have been going to the takeaway to get a takeaway for the family and eating a whole extra meal in the car on the way home. Okay. 
and hiding the wrappers and then going in and eating what everybody else was eating. Yeah. And then half an hour to an hour later, I was making an excuse to, to maybe go for diesel or go for petrol or whatever and get another few bars of chocolate or whatever. I was eating thousands of calories a day. But if you'd asked me the direct question, I would have said to you with a perfectly straight face, Elliot, I have no, re I have no idea, mate. I have mm -hmm. no idea I eat nothing. So it was done in secret. Mm -hmm. And it was full of shame. <laughs> and it wouldn't be the first night then that I found myself on my hands and knees in the bathroom floor eating soup to make myself sick. Oof. Because I couldn't deal with that feeling in my stomach of feeling so full that I was about to burst, basically. So I went from one extreme to the other. I mean, if I went to a wedding or a meal out or whatever, I'd be the person not having dessert and not having... Because okay. I didn't want people to see me yes. eating that. Yeah. And then, but only now I recognise this with clients. And I mean, I, I teach my clients very quickly how to be able to go to a meal out and have two courses and have dessert or whatever the case may be. Because what happened to me was I would have felt so deprived then. Yeah. You know, I would have gone home from that nice meal where I was the only person who didn't have dessert. You know, when I think on it now, there's sitting, everybody's sitting around the table, this guy bursting out of a pair of 44 inch trousers and 21 stone, trying to kid on like he doesn't eat dessert. Mm. Who's he trying to kid? Mm -hmm. But I was trying to kid them. But then I would go home and I would feel so deprived that I missed out on that. So instead of eating that 600 calorie dessert, I'd eat 600 calories, 6,000 calories of crap. Yeah. As soon as I got home as a trade-off, but I'd do that in private where nobody could see me. What do you think, but what do you, so I mean, presumably, would you, would you quantify it as, as an eating addiction? Okay. And um, do you think there was like an underlying cause? It's, I think it's uh, Gabor Mate who often talks about the fact that addiction often is, stems from uh, like childhood trauma or yeah. something like that. I mean, I definitely couldn't put it down to trauma. At certainly, there was hyper palatable foods I would talk about to my okay. clients. Mm -hmm. So there were things that I just couldn't get enough of. Right. Okay, like I could have opened, and Kathy and I joke about this now, but it wasn't funny at the time, but I could have opened a box of Crunchy Nut Corn Flakes <laughs> and just ate the whole box. Okay. <laughs> I could have opened a packet of Jaffa Cakes and yeah. just ate the whole packet. Yeah. So I couldn't open a packet of Jaffa Cakes and have one. Mm -hmm. It had to be the whole thing. Yeah. And then they brought out twin packs. So that was it. <laughs> so you were buying a twin pack and thinking, well, you know, that's going to do me for so days. You're, you, you, for so many days, you're having this conversation with yourself at the till. You're thinking it's like the multi-pack of Mars bars. I'd be standing at the till saying, you know, that makes sense, Sam, because you can get four bars for a pound. And that saves you buying, you know, bars at 60p each. Whatever. Yeah. So this is going to do you for four days. And 10 minutes later, buying all four bars is yeah. gone because I couldn't help myself. So mm -hmm. there were certain foods that I just couldn't be trusted around. Okay. And when I started them, I just couldn't stop. And it was like that. But again, I talk through this with clients as to why this happens and triggers and so on. Mm -hmm. There were certain foods that I would start and it was like somebody turned the lights out and turned the back on again and the whole packet's gone. Do you know what I mean? And there's yeah. no... I said, I said this to one of my clients two weeks ago because she had a binge and I was talking her through what happened and all the rest of it. And I says, well, did you really enjoy it? Did you really enjoy what you had? She goes, well, that's a stupid question. And I says, it's not. I says, say yes or no. That binge that you had, that food that we discussed that you just binged on, did you enjoy it? Are you saying to me, do you know what, Sam? There's probably 4,000 calories there, and I enjoyed every bite of it. It was amazing. I says, is that what you're saying to me? She goes, no, I get no satisfaction from it whatsoever. Yeah, yeah. And that's how I was. Yeah, yeah. You know, I, I can remember thinking to myself, how are you still eating? Mm. How, how are you still shoveling more in, but I wasn't enjoying a bite of it. Mm -hmm. Not one bite of it. 
So it was an addiction. Yeah. It was maybe I set myself up for it because I would starve myself for periods and then when I would start, I couldn't yeah. stop. Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So it was my fault from that point of view, but I didn't see it that way. Hmm. All I saw was, right, starve yourself. You'll wake up thin tomorrow. Don't eat breakfast. You'll wake up thin tomorrow. Mm -hmm. But all I'd done was store trouble up for myself. Hmm. And it took me then to break that cycle. If you'd turned around to me then and said, right, Sam, I'm going to get you eating six meals a day here. Yeah. And we're going to start ripping a stone a month off. Yeah, I was like, I can't <laughs> eat six meals a day. I need to get thin. You know, I have clients message me now to go, whoa, Sam, hang on a minute. I'm coming to you here because I have five stone to lose and you want me to eat six or seven meals a day. We can't do that there. Like You need to drop weight off me as fast as you can. Yeah. And I have to try and explain to them, see those six meals a day at two and a half thousand calories or whatever, you're eating double that at the minute. Mm. But maybe like me, you were combining that into just your binge at night or whatever the yes. case may be. Yeah, so yeah. all I saw was myself eating nothing all day and I just blocked out completely the thousands and thousands of calories I was eating at night. Mm. Hmm. scares me now and I mean I've done studies on the secret eating and stuff like that there I mean there's people that'll do a food diary and swear blind they're eating 1400 calories a day and they're eating four and a half thousand yeah do you know what I mean we've all seen those programs mm -hmm. and that's true bull that is completely true mm -hmm. and I was so so guilty of that just completely living in denial because it seemed that no matter what I done I couldn't lose weight and I have people that'll come to me that'll say the same you know, I've tried it all, Sam. I've tried every diet known to man, and I always fail. But the one thing they haven't tried is just having the right calorie level. Yeah. So it's my job to find a way to yes. do that for them. It's yeah. not a case of one size fits all. You know, I have people message me to say, would you send me through your diet? I don't have, people joke about the SAM plan. People joke about, oh, your man needs the SAM plan, or she needs the SAM plan, or whatever. There's no SAM plan. <laughs> the SAM plan is helping somebody. Yeah. figure out what's right for them. Mm -hmm. You know, mm -hmm. and if you take five of my clients, there'll be five different approaches there. Yes. And what I didn't know for all those years was the approach that worked for me. Got you. I just hadn't. And starving and binging was not that approach. Yeah, exactly. So, so what was the, uh, the sort of, um, the climax? What was the tipping point? When did it all start to, to change? So that's my late thirties and six, seven years ago. Um, and as I say, I was in complete denial about my weight at that stage, complete denial. I was trying to block it out. Mm. I was trying to squeeze out the clothes that were clearly too small for me and all the rest of it. But and I, I couldn't have spoke about my weight. I couldn't have talked about my weight. It was complete taboo, complete elephant in the corner. Um, but one Saturday, I closed my shop up and I had to go and buy a suit for something that was coming up. So it was Saturday afternoon, half past four, walked into the shop and I, I was asking, I was convincing myself I was still a 30 inch waist because I couldn't deal with a 40, couldn't deal with a 40 thing at all. So I asked <laughs> the guy for a 30 inch waist in the suit. And I can remember looking at me and thinking, it's optimistic, but he, <laughs> he gave it to me anyway. But he came across then and he goes, mate, how are you getting on? And he looked in and I, I couldn't get it past my legs. I couldn't get it past my knees, never mind, get mm. it up over my, my waist. And he says, mate, you're more like a 44 or a 46. And that was the turning point. I broke down and cried in that changing room. It just hit me like a ton of bricks that day. Everything that I had been blocking out, all the lies I had been telling myself, the fact that my head had been buried 
in the sand up Mars, whatever way you want to put it, but everything I'd been blocking out hit me like a thunderbolt that day. And I'll never forget the guy standing there and the way he looked at me mm -hmm. and the tone on his voice when he said it. And I'm sure he never gave it a second thought again after that. I'm sure he went out that night and said to his mates, you want to see the tosser out on the day asking for a 38-inch trouser and him more like a 44 46? I'm sure it was a joke to that film. Mm -hmm. But that guy, without realising it, done me the biggest favour ever. Because I got really emotional in the changing room that day, in the fitting room. And I packed everything up and I left it and I went out. And I can remember going home that day, it's about a 20 minute drive. And I cried, and we have a saying down there, and I cried sore. Mm -hmm. Proper cried. Mm -hmm. I mean proper cried at what I had seen that day. That was a Saturday. And I was really, really upset that night. And I remember waking up on the Sunday morning and thinking, I'm going to do something about this here. So I'm going to go out for a run. Now, why I thought at 21 stone going out for a run was the answer, I don't know. But I got on a pair of trainers. Or I was up early in the Sunday morning. And I had a house out in the country at the time. And I thought, I'm going to go for a run. So I headed out. I got about 500 yards to the, the end of the road. And I thought I was going to take a heart attack. I couldn't get a breath. So I turned and had to walk back with my tail between my legs. So that nearly made a bad situation worse. Yes. Because that was another feeling of failure. Mm -hmm. Here you are. You've woke up to the fact that you're a mess and you need to do something about it. And that you can't even get this right. Do you know what I mean? You can't even do this here. So for the rest of the day, I don't know. See that weekend, it was just, it was absolute turmoil. I, and I, did, I still didn't know what I was going to do because I had tried to fix it. Because mm -hmm. I thought, if you'd said to me, well, how do you fix this? Will you start running or you do something like that there? No, I didn't eat badly that day, okay? Because I didn't eat that day. Okay, I didn't Jeez. eat that day. But I didn't binge that night the way I would normally starve myself all day and binge that night. Yeah. Because I was so upset. Okay. But I went the next morning to work and I drove to the bank to do the lodgement for work and in the industrials and in the commercial park come up round the roundabout and there was this big sign at that stage it was called jjb sports gym mm -hmm. i'd never paid any attention to the place before because me and the gym wasn't even on my radar and i thought that's what i'll do i'll join the gym so i walked into reception i said i want to take out a membership and the girl says, right no problem we can sign all that up for you but you need to have an induction so somebody needs to show you around how everything works. And I can remember standing and thinking, just walk, Sam, just walk. This isn't for you. Mm. I said, I don't know about that. Can I not just sort of find my own way with things or whatever? No, we can't let you do that. You have to have an induction session first before you can use the gym. Mm -hmm. He says, but we could take you tomorrow morning at 10 o'clock. So I felt myself to just make an excuse, just make an excuse and go, because this isn't right. Something doesn't feel right with this. And I was like, right, okay. And I'll, I'll tell you something now, you'll see for me to walk in there the next day in a three extra large t-shirt and it was like everybody in the whole place stopped what they were doing and turned to look at me. That wasn't the case, Yes. but that's yeah. how it felt for me. Mm -hmm. And this guy got me on an exercise bike to, to warm me up while he talked and went through stuff. And everywhere I looked there was a mirror and I could see myself. And I wasn't even listening to what he was saying, it was going in one ear and out the other. <laughs> but it... It got me started that morning. I can remember thinking to myself, this is so not for me. I, mean, I remember turning to the guy and saying, where do I get my towel or whatever now if I want to have a shower? And he goes, no, no, you bring your own towel. You don't. 
And I remember thinking, oh, Sam, you're so out of your league here, son. This is just, <laughs> this just isn't for you. But at the same time, there's this battle going on in my head. The same totally. way, you, you have to do something. Yes. You have to do something. Yeah. So I turned up the next day again, and I went through the wee program that he showed me. And I can remember him saying to me, we're going to do like a wee fitness test. So we'll see how many press-ups you can do in 60 seconds type of thing. And he's sitting there with his clipboard. And the minute I braced myself up into position, I fell flat on my face. So that was a zero. So I thought, you're literally starting from zero here. I was looking at other guys and some of the weights that they were lifting. Mm. And then looking at what I could manage. I mean, I can remember sitting doing a, a seated shoulder press with two five kilos. And I couldn't even get the 10 reps. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? I've, yeah. I've girls walk in to meet to train with me for the first time now yeah. and they could do that. And yeah. I couldn't, this big fella at 21 stone, and I couldn't lift shit. Mm. It was crazy. But I turned up the next day, and I turned up the next day, and in one month I had one stone off. <laughs> in four months I had four stone off. <laughs> and I still hadn't a clue what I was doing. I was going to the gym every day. I was religiously doing this wee program that he had written for me because it was like a wee blueprint. Mm -hmm. That was like my Bible. Mm -hmm. So I would do everything. Looking back on it now and knowing what I know and knowing how clients are, I'm probably the only person ever to have stuck to that for more than one day <laughs> yeah. and not walked in and done the usual man thing and going, I know what I'm doing here. Yeah. Instruction manual, I don't need that there. Mm -hmm. I done that to the letter of the law every single day. Yeah. Every single day. It was three <laughs> days a week, then it was five days a week. Four stone in four months. I didn't know what to eat. Okay. okay. I hadn't a clue. And everybody I asked and everything I looked at, there was all these conflicting stories yeah. coming at me. Mm. So I very stupidly fell into the trap. If you'd said to me about eating, I would have said, well, low fat is not a healthy way to eat. So basically, if there was fat in something, I didn't eat it. Okay. Which was crazy. Yeah. So I had myself then that I was training every day in the gym. I had this thing about the running that I hadn't been able to do it. So I had myself built up to running three miles and five miles and seven miles. So I would train every morning and then I would run every night and I would eat this crazy low fat diet and the weight was coming off real, real fast, real fast. And then I was crying in the changing room because I was getting under a pair of 36 inch jeans. Yeah. <laughs> so I went from, <laughs> from one emotion to another all of a sudden I'm this gibbering mess because I've got into my first pair of 36 inch waist jeans yeah. but then it all came crashing down around me then because my body obviously couldn't keep up with what I was doing because mm. there was no food going in worth talking about but there was all this massive amount of output going yes. out so I found myself then in a situation where I was in my doctor's surgery describing the fact that and I have a fear of hospitals and doctors and all that so it takes a lot for me to go to the doctor when I go to the doctor mm -hmm. I'm really sick mm -hmm. But I had this sensation that my heart was beating out of my chest. Oof. I felt so ill one day at work. So they'd done lots of tests. And basically my, my body wasn't shutting down, but I couldn't keep going. And the doctor said to me at that time, she says, I see you out running. You've lost an awful lot of weight very, very quickly. Mm -hmm. I think it's all to do with this. Mm -hmm. But I left myself so sick then for a few days that I couldn't work, I couldn't train, I couldn't do anything. Really? So I more oh. or less wiped out for about three days. Overtraining syndrome, a yes. lot of people would call it. Yeah. But I can remember one night sitting and the only thought that was in my head, I was smart enough to know, look, you can't keep doing this because mm -hmm. you're going to kill yourself. But I can remember sitting and thinking that you can't go back to 21 stone. So I can remember sitting and thinking, Sam, you can't go back. 
There's no way you've had a taste of how this feels now. There's no way you can go back to looking and feeling how you looked and felt just a few months ago. Mm -hmm. So the one thing, it was like a light bulb moment. The one thing that came to me, this has to centre around the food side of things. Something to do with food. Yeah. So I enrolled on my diet nutrition diploma. Okay. Just to study for <laughs> myself. Mm -hmm. Now, if you'd said to me back then, oh, you know, you could open a gym and you could be a nutritionist and you could do this and all the rest. I was like, no, no, I want to learn as much as I can so that I never become 21 stone again. So I'd done my diet nutrition diploma and I'd done my sports nutrition diploma and anything I could get my hands on, I studied to do with food. Because the more I was learning, mm -hmm. the more I was changing, the more positive benefits I was starting to see and the more I could see my physique change. Because I realised then it wasn't about losing the seven stone. There was no point in me losing seven stone and leaving myself really, really ill. That's where body composition came into it. Mm -hmm. So the more I studied and the more I learned and the more people that I started to come in contact with, there's a guy, Neil Anderson, who's a very famous competing athlete back at home. And he came up to me in the gym one day and I touched on this in my podcast. I wanted to sort of dedicate a wee podcast to me mm -hmm. because he came up to me and he was like, mate, I've just heard, you know, how much weight you've lost. And I just wanted to say, well done. Hmm. Fair play to you. That can't have been easy. And the guy was just genuinely interested in what I had done. Yeah. And he didn't have an opinion or he didn't patronize me or he wasn't, oh, you should have done this or done that. He just genuinely wanted to say, Fair play to you. That's <laughs> awesome. Where do you see it going now? And I was like, you know, going to lose some more weight and maybe do a bit more running or whatever. And he sort of planted the seed then. He says, would you not think of maybe starting to get strong and build a bit of muscle and change your body that way? And because I was so weak, I mean, I can remember my first bench press. I can remember lying down, seeing these guys doing bench press. And it wasn't a maybe program. But whenever I progressed a wee bit, I thought, I need to be at that. That looks pretty cool there. Like, so... And I thought, I don't know about putting the, the weights on either side. I'll just go with empty bar just by the way I'm warming up. Mm -hmm. But I couldn't press the empty bar. Seriously? <laughs> so, I can remember, yeah. so I can remember <laughs> lying with the empty bar and thinking, right, shit, what happens now? So I can remember rolling it down and rolling it down so that I could sit up there. <laughs> That's how weak I was. Jesus. It's mad. Like, but don't forget that the, I was weak anyway. It, yeah. But then you were taking somebody that was training twice a day, seven days a week and you were putting little or no food exactly, in. Exactly, yeah, geez. So I definitely wasn't going to get stronger. Mm -hmm. So, and, but that day I remember saying to him, defense mode kicked in, the old Sam kicked in. No, no, I'm, no, I'm, I'm grand, I'm 100%, thank you very, very much indeed. And I went away and I thought, that guy's clearly right, Sam. Come on, look at the shape he's in. You know, the guy clearly knows what he's talking yeah. about. So I went up to him the next day and I said, look, I've been thinking about what you said and you're probably right. That's probably what I need to be looking at. Um, would you coach me? Would you teach me what you're talking about? Mm -hmm. um, and he did. And then he ended up moving away to Belfast a couple of months later. And it was like somebody pulled the wee safety blanket away from me. But I knew he'd give me the tools. And that's, that's what a good coach is about. I mean, that's, it's not about having that coach for the rest of your life. It's about them empowering you to go mm. and do that by yourself then. And that's what I'd done after Neil left and went to Belfast. But our paths would cross again because when I decided to compete, yeah, I went to him to get me ready for my first show then. So I, I was driving to Belfast every week for him to get me ready. Why did you eventually decide to compete? <laughs> Not for the reason you might think. Cathy <laughs> <laughs> could tell you a story or two about me competing, I'll tell you. Yeah. And I don't mean this in any way to 
belittle anybody that competes because I take my hat off to anybody that competes. And people that don't compete, you know, I have, I have people that'll pass comment in my posts coming up to a competition about do this and do that and they haven't competed and you think, yeah, uh, <laughs> <laughs> you've no idea <laughs> what we go through. But it was Rehan Jahali, who's a very, very famous coach that I had the fantastic opportunity to work with in London to do like a, a wee course along with Rehan and he took a real interest in me because he's a celebrity coach in Hollywood. Hmm. So he coaches Stallone and Scherzinger and Ben Affleck and all these guys. Jesus. And he, he took a real shine to me because I was this wee fat kid that, <laughs> that had done this transformation. And as he said to me, most people come to do this, this workshop that you're doing with me because they're, you know, they're maybe like famous fitness models or something like that there. He says, you're coming because of this passion to learn. Yeah. To stop yourself getting fat again. He was like, that blows my mind. <laughs> you know, you're not doing this for any, yeah. you weren't, you're not doing this to commercialize it. Because at that stage, I wasn't a PT or a coach or anything else. It was just this thirst for knowledge to mm -hmm. do with nutrition. And it was him, he and I discussed this at length because he kind of took on to mentor me then after that unofficially. And I had body dysmorphia. So even at all that weight off, I would still see the fat person in the mirror. Mm. And we discussed that. And he said to me, look, you can train, you can diet. Why don't you compete? Why don't you compete? And you'll have those photographs to forever look back on and say, okay, I'm not that fat person anymore. Clearly. Yeah. yeah. Just put yourself on stage, he says, because we both know you could do it. And I remember thinking, I don't think I could do that. So I, I said to Neil, when I went to Neil to discuss it with him, I says, here's the way it is, Neil. Now, I started my first show prep in December. So my Christmas dinner that year was 150 grams of turkey and a handful of broccoli. And I wouldn't, because he'd said to me, we can factor Christmas day and that's not going to be the end of the world. And I was like, no, if I'm doing this, really? Whoa. I'm, I'm doing this. So that's, that's how Neil and I's paths crossed again. But I said to him, I says, look, get me ready for the show. Train me right up for the show, but I don't actually go on stage. I just get myself ready and we get some pictures taken and we leave it at that. Mm -hmm. That's how much going on stage would have wrecked my head mm -hmm. to stand up there in a pair of shorts where I see other guys <laughs> backstage and they're practically pushing me out of the way. They can't get out there quick enough and they love their stage time. Yeah. Whereas I hate it. <laughs> Absolutely hate it. So I could do six months on prep and the, the pinnacle of that for other people is getting their five minutes on stage. Yeah, yeah. That's the low point of six months of prep Seriously? for me. Yeah. Wow. Completely. But that's just the old me, probably. Yeah. That's just those old demons from the past or whatever. So I've covered this in a few social media posts where I have said how much I physically hate going on stage and doing the routine and all the rest really? of it. Really? Yeah. Big time. It's fascinating. So if I if I had one challenge for myself to overcome, it would be that to go out on stage and actually enjoy. Enjoy it, yeah. Showing it off is maybe the wrong term, but I suppose maybe the right term. But just to say, I've worked my arse off for four, five, six months here, and here's mm -hmm. the final result. Whereas for me, it's that's actually the low point of competing, which is nuts. It is, yeah. yeah it's nuts. <laughs> Jesus. But Kathy, I'll tell you a funny story. I um, UK Ultimate Physiques in York that I did a couple of years ago, which is my first show outside of Northern Ireland. So it was like a step up for me, basically, and I would be in a lineup of twenty or twenty-five instead of. 10 or whatever the case may be um, and I'd always had my spray tan 
yes. done just by a local beautician or whatever. Mm -hmm. But for this show at that level, you had to be tanned mm. by them. So it meant coming across a day early, going to York University where the show was being held. And you had a slot for going to get your tan done. Okay. So Kathy and I, we'd hired a car at the airport, went to the university, and then checked myself in to get my tan done. And the girl says, no problem, just go down there and into the room on the, on the left side. I went down and there's all these guys standing. And the girl come across, she was right, I'm going to take you five guys now, so you just want to get stripped off. And I was like, where do we go? Sorry. <laughs> she was, yeah, just for yours, fine. So it hit me then that all five of us had to get undressed and we were going to get yeah. our spray tanned on in the same room at yes. the same time. Yeah. And I said to one of the guys, this is, this is awful, like, isn't it? Isn't this awful? And he's going, mate, you're getting on stage tomorrow <laughs> yeah. in a pair of shorts in front of a few thousand people. It's really no big deal. But it was so traumatic for me. And Kathy will bear me out in this. I, uh, I come out and she says, oh, your tan doesn't look too bad. That looks fine. I was like, can we just get out of here? And we got back to the hotel and I cried. I mean, I broke down and cried. And she was like, what happened in there? What did they say to you? What happened? It was just, I don't know if it was flashbacks to the changing rooms at rugby when I was 12 or 13 or yeah, what it was. Yeah. But and when I thought about it, I thought, Catch a grip, Sam. Seriously, think what you're about to do tomorrow, mm -hmm. and you can't take your clothes off in front of <laughs> four or five other men in a room. So, but this is what sort of fascinates me about you is that you are this. You come across as this very self-assured, confident, won't take much nonsense type of guy, and yet you obviously have this kind of sensitive side oh, as completely. well. You know? and that's people that know me best know that. Do you yeah. know what I mean? I'd go to the ends of the earth for anybody that needed my help. Mm -hmm. But I suppose I've, I've turned into this person now because I spent years taking shit, huh. rolling over and playing dead, being the people pleaser, yeah. keeping the nice steady ship for everybody so that, so that the attention wasn't on me being fat. That's the only thing I can put that down to, to mm -hmm. now. Do you know what? I have a second chance at life. Life's really precious. I want to get the most from it. I want to help as many other people get the most out of life as we can. We don't have time for dicking about. <laughs> That's the way I look at it now. So from that point of view, from a client point of view, when they're working and they're struggling, I'll be there for them. When they're taking the piss, they're gone. Because yeah. I don't have time for... And I don't have time for negative people either. Because mm -hmm. I don't think I fully appreciate it, what that means. I mean, they talk about radiators or drains. Mm -hmm. I realise now that my circle is a tenth the size that it used to be. Mm -hmm. But it has to be the right quality people. Yes. I mean, my clients can't be drains. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Because totally. it's it's too precious. Yeah. And when you're sitting with a waiting list of six or seven months for people wanting the PT with you, mm. you can't be wasting time with somebody that's zapping the energy out of you because they don't give a shit. Yes. And they don't want to put the effort in and they don't realise how amazing their transformation can be. <laughs> so from that point of view, yeah, I'm poacher turn gamekeeper. I'm, yeah. I'm the person that done all the things <laughs> that these people are doing now that are coming to me, but yeah. I don't have the tolerance for that anymore. Mm -hmm. But People come to me for that reason. Yes. You know, I've, I've just taken a message on the phone from somebody that worked with me a few months ago and then she kind of dropped off and she was like, I need that no bullshit approach yeah. and I need the accountability. Mm -hmm. And my husband has just said to me, if you were still with Sam, you wouldn't be doing that or you wouldn't be doing that. There's maybe that wee fear factor there. I don't know what it is, but they know yeah. I'll tell them what, how it is. Do you know what I mean? It's not a case yeah. of telling a client what they want to hear so that you keep their business. Totally. I'll make yeah. myself unpopular and tell them the truth. Mm. And they'll thank me there and then or they'll thank me in a few months' time. So Yeah. 
But I do. <laughs> Kathy will say this quite often. Actually, Kathy will say to people, "He's a pussy cat. He's as soft as butter," as we would say. And I do have that really soft side, but mm-hmm. not everybody sees it. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> oh, but I think, and I said this to you off camera earlier. I think it's incredible that you're willing to speak so openly and honestly about things that really are probably quite quite personal and quite. Um, it's yeah. kind of therapy for me. I don't know. Mm. Somebody said that to me. It's maybe therapy for me. I don't know what it is, but I just, it's the response that I get. Yes. Because as I said to you off camera, the first time that I was really open and honest about my secret eating and binge eating was by accident yeah. in a seminar. And I just kind of went down that line. And I can remember standing thinking, retreat, Sam. <laughs> this is not good territory. Nobody wants to hear about you and your hands and knees eating soap to make yourself sick. You know, this is not where this, this conversation was meant to be going. <laughs> But the feedback that I got after that, I had people coming up to me and going, oh my God, I can't believe. And don't get me wrong, in the early days, it would go the other way. I would have people, I would get people hating on me for doing it. Mm. I would get people message me and saying, somebody like you in your position shouldn't be saying things like really? that. Yeah, shouldn't be saying, shouldn't be talking about stuff like that. And I thought, no, do you know what? I spent 30 odd years not talking about it. Yeah. And look where that got me. Yeah. So if me sharing that, can help one other person. And I mean, I've had so many, I've lost count of the number of examples of that I've had. I've been on radio shows and shared secret eating, binge eating, my own experience, just mm-hmm. what I'd done myself mm-hmm. and had people phone me immediately after the show, complete strangers to say, see what you're saying there? That's me, mm-hmm. I'm doing that at the minute. Hmm. You know, could you help me to fix that? Even they don't need me to help them, even they just wake up to the fact, oh my God, but that fella's saying I'm doing that. Yeah. Because yeah. like me, so many of them are trying to turn a blind eye to it. Hmm. So it's nearly like I have a, an obligation. Mm-hmm. I've had a second chance hmm. in life and turning my back and all that. But with that came an obligation to be honest about it and the hope that it could help other people. Yeah. If that makes sense. It, it doesn't. To- no, it makes absolutely perfect sense. Yeah. Totally, yeah. 100%. That's how I feel about it. Anyway. Yeah, yeah. At the end of the day, it doesn't detract from me in any way. Mm -hmm. It doesn't harm me in any way Mm -hmm. to be open and honest about that stuff. Yeah. And if it gives somebody else hope, then it has to be worth doing. Yeah. I've I've been listening to your podcast. One of the ones I listened to today was um, you speak about some of the challenges, the highs and hells, as you put it, and you go into things about your previous relationship. Um, I wonder if you would maybe just sort of share... Yeah. some of that and, and yeah. your experience with that because I think that some people listening or watching it could really be of benefit to them. Definitely. It's something else that I have touched on because a lot of people locally maybe would have known mm-hmm. some of what I was going through. So it's it's not that it was common knowledge, but it didn't come as a shock to a lot of people okay. that part of me losing the weight wasn't that well received in some circles. Mm-hmm. And one of those circles was my ex-wife who didn't like it at all. But again, somebody that had never struggled with her weight. Yeah. So it's not to say that she had been heavy too or whatever the case may be. Didn't get it. I mean, I touched on Rehan Shahali there, that guy. Mm-hmm. I can remember telling nobody that I was doing that course with Rehan. And, and people would have known who he was and it would have been a big deal. And I can remember telling nobody. But I can remember then getting to the airport that night because I had passed it and all the rest of it. I'm being a wee bit proud of myself because I'd got to work with this guy and all the rest of it. Yeah. And I remember putting a wee status on Facebook, a wee photograph of Rehan and I together getting my certificate and all the rest of it. And I'd done it just at the airport and it went nuts. 
my phone went absolutely <laughs> crazy. And I can remember being bursting my pride flying back into Belfast that night again and driving home. And I remember going in the door and obviously people must have been talking about it or commenting that some of her friends had messaged go, oh, what's this big deal that Sam was doing today? So mm -hmm. I can remember coming in the door being, you know, thinking, I don't, yeah. this is good. Do you know yeah, what I mean? Yeah. This is really good. And her saying, so what, what's this that you've been doing? Who is this guy or what's the story? I said, well, is this guy rehab? Sorry, is this to do with nutrition? Yeah, obviously. Don't want to know. Don't want to know. Not interested. That kind of sums it up. Mm. It would range from that to Fat Sam. She, th this woman would know how to how to. This woman would know how to make me cry. In minutes, mm -hmm. and the more I cried, the more that fueled the situation. Things like, you know, you were Fat Sam when I married you, and you'll be Fat Sam again. You do know that, don't you? You know that this is this is just the next thing. It was like golf. You got into golf. Mm -hmm. and that doesn't last. You get into shooting, and that doesn't last. This weight loss and this gym, this is the next one of those, and this won't last forever. And I took you when you were Fat Sam, mm -hmm. and you'll be Fat Sam again. Mm -hmm. You know, because I say so. Yeah. Okay, and that went from that then to, see this eating every so many hours, and this preparing food and all the rest of it, that needs to stop. Well, why does that need to stop? You know, I'm taking better care of my health and you're a health professional, so you should understand what I'm trying to do here. No, I don't like this. So there's a new rule in this house now. So this is a grown man in his late 30s who's paying the mortgage, being told, um, as of now, you don't cook or eat meals in this house after 6 p.m. Jesus. Okay, so I was, that's the way it has to be, that's the way it has to be. So I was eating cold meals because I wasn't allowed to heat them up or cook them or whatever yeah. the case may be. And then I would just get to all these extremes. Like I've decided I don't like the smell of porridge anymore. So I'm banning porridge from this house, which is what I was eating for my breakfast every day at this stage. Mm -hmm. I would wake up in the morning and to go to the gym because I was going to the gym then every morning at six o'clock before work. And my car would be blocked in on the drive or my car keys would be hid. There'd be something to prevent it. <laughs> So it was this constant onslaught of verbal abuse, mm -hmm. all these limiting factors to try and stop me from going to the gym or from training. I can remember taking my daughter to the zoo and we stopped in Pizza Hut on the way back. And I was like, no, I'm fine because I'm going to be cooking for myself when I get back and I'd probably had a meal away with me or whatever. But mm -hmm. I was like, no, 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 I'm 100%. And I'd, I'd never any bother with her or anybody else eating whatever they wanted. Yes. And I still don't. Yeah. If they're in my company, eat whatever you want, drink whatever you want. Mm -hmm. Unless you're one of my clients, that's a different story. <laughs> yeah. But, but I, you know, it's not to say that I was lecturing her for eating pizza or whatever. I was like, no, no, I'm 100%, I'm cool. And I can remember sitting going, just eat the pizza. I was going, no, no, I'm, I'm fine, seriously. I'm, I'll eat now when we get home or whatever. I was like, just eat the pizza, Sam. And she went on and on and on until I ate a slice of pizza just to shut her up basically because she was starting to make a scene in mm -hmm. the place. And I can remember because I was so new to it all at that stage and I cleaned my diet down. I can remember pizza, something I would have eaten loads of before. I was no stranger to a pizza. Yeah. But I can remember all I could taste was salt. Okay. And I remember thinking, I don't want this and I don't like this anymore. Yeah. And I'm eating this to please you. That's nuts. Absolutely nuts. I'm a grown man being bullied and eating a slice yeah. of pizza. Yeah. 
but then it would get, it's nearly like I didn't become this massively self-confident person all of a sudden, mm -hmm. but she could see my self-confidence starting to develop. Mm -hmm. And she didn't like the fact that people were passing comment on all the weight that I'd lost. And obviously I was changing shape and everything else as well. Mm -hmm. I didn't have a pile of muscle. I mean, it took years for that to come, but I was getting into better shape than what I was. Mm -hmm. And she just didn't like it, felt very threatened by it. And that moved things to a whole different level then. And I mean, I've, well, it's in my book as well, and I've gone on record and I've spoke about this, but you know, I've had my wrist broken. I've had situations where I have been beaten under a corner. I've been in some nasty situations. I've been, I've been run over by her in the car mm -hmm. with my two children in the car. And that's something I'll take to the grave with me. Mm -hmm. My eldest daughter screaming. Jesus. And that's tough. <laughs> that was really, really tough. Mm -hmm. And again, there's this, and she would have said this to me, because it's not the first time that I threatened to go to the police or whatever, or mm -hmm. to reach out and get help. I mean, here's me going into accident and emergency because I realized the next morning that my wrist was broken. Um, and having to concoct this story about one of my mates mucking about oh, with me. Okay. Because at the back of my mind, this woman's broke my wrist and she's done wrong, but she's a health professional. I go in there and tell them that my wife has broke my wrist. She's going to lose her job. That's going to impact on my children and all the rest of it. Mm -hmm. And then it's spun around on you. It's like, well, you go to the police, who are they going to believe? Somebody that looks like you and is the size that you are or little old eight stone me. And you know what? She was right. Mm -hmm. Because the vast majority of people probably would have believed her and did believe her. I've had people come up to me recently that have looked at me in the past few years like I was a piece of shit that they stepped in. And all of a sudden they're coming up to me now. I had one woman come up to me in the supermarket that I would have known quite well. Mm -hmm. And she just completely had been blanking me, ignoring me, giving me dirty looks, whatever. And she came up to me in the supermarket one day and she goes, uh, how's things now? And I was like, yeah, things are fine. And she goes, I didn't fully understand what, what had gone on with you that time. I maybe got the wrong end of the stick. Mm. And I remember thinking, yeah, you did. But I wasn't shouting it from the rooftops, the fact that my wife was <laughs> mentally and physically abusing me. Yeah, yeah. A, because a lot of people probably wouldn't have believed me. Mm -hmm. And B, because it was taking everything that I had just to get through every day. Yes. And battling that. And I knew people probably wouldn't believe me. But... I talk about the highs and hells of my transformation. That was the hells mm -hmm. because I had a situation then where I reached a point one day where I couldn't take any more and I did leave and I packed my bags and I went and I ended up sleeping in my shop. But one of my friends had predicted this happening. He said to me, look, you'll only take that for so long. Mm -hmm. She'll just go too far one day and that'll be it. Mm -hmm. um, and that day came. And that, that was the hardest thing. I mean, people have no concept of how it feels to be fat sometimes if they haven't been fat. People have no concept how it feels to kiss your two daughters and walk out of your home mm -hmm. because you physically can't take anymore. I was waking up in the middle of the night and she, we were in separate rooms and she would be standing over my bed staring at me. I can remember 
that first night when I had made that decision to go and go in and sleeping in the shop, I mean, I cried myself to sleep that night because I was 20 minutes before that I had left my two daughters and I was missing them already and I was like, how is this going to play out? What's going to happen? What am I going to do? Where am I going to go? But I can remember when I did fall asleep, sleeping like a baby that night because I had spent months and months and months going to bed, afraid of what might happen during the night. Jesus. It's not a good place to be. No. Definitely not a good place to be. And that, unless you've been in that situation, it's hard to, yeah. to explain that. So if, if you were to give advice either to us, it was your former self or to somebody in that sort of situation, I mean, what would you say to them? Do you know what? It's easy to say, get help. Hmm. Getting help is not easy. Yes. Because I turn to the people I know that's not exactly answering your question, but I turned to the people that should have been there to help me. Yeah. And they didn't want to know. They were like, whoo, no, no, mm. you're on your own here, son. Mm. So it's not, it would be too easy for me to say my advice is to reach out and get help because I know that help isn't always there where it should mm -hmm. be. Mm -hmm. You've got to think about yourself. And this is not, I'm, I try and teach people to be selfish, and selfish is such a negative word, such a negative word, mm -hmm. but it's not, because at the end of the day, if I hadn't taken care of myself, I wouldn't be here today, I know I wouldn't, mm. because at that stage, the thought had crossed my mind that I couldn't take anymore. So I needed to do what was right for me and to sort me out, and anybody that's in that situation needs to do that. If they get help, fantastic, mm -hmm. but don't assume it's gonna be where it should be. I mean, I know when I went to speak to my father about the fact that I needed to leave and I couldn't take any more, I mean, I was met with, that's not how we do things, son. Yeah. You man up. You take it in the chin. What's people going to think? What's the church going to think? Mm -hmm. What's everybody else going to think? Mm -hmm. Whereas it needed to be about me. Yes. And me keeping myself right. Because do you know what? Back then, I had two children that I had an obligation to. Okay, mm -hmm. when you're afraid to come home from work at night and you're staying in your shop to 10 or half 10 mm -hmm. because you don't know what you're going to be met with going through the door, well, that's missing out invaluable time with them. Yeah. Okay, I was a shit father back then. Mm. When I look at it now and every minute that I have with them now is spent making sure they know they feel loved and making sure they're having fun and they're laughing and they have everything that they need in life. Yeah. That's me doing my job properly. Mm -hmm. But if I hadn't taken care of myself, I couldn't do that because hmm. I was at the mercy of her at my weight before that at all these other factors. Mm -hmm. So I can't give that. You can't pour from an empty cup. Yes. And I was an empty cup, mm -hmm. completely empty cup. So my advice to people in that situation is take care of yourself first and foremost. And for God's sake, put no value in what other people think. Hmm. Because at the end of the day, they haven't. I mean, a, a great saying that, that I was given at that stage was not everybody will understand your journey mm -hmm. and that's okay because mm -hmm. it's not theirs to understand. Hmm. I couldn't get why her, why my friends or whatever couldn't be happy for me that for the first time in my life I was losing weight and feeling better about myself and making myself healthy. They didn't get it. Yeah. They didn't want to know. And you know what? That's okay. Mm. That's okay. It's a shame. It's a shame. <laughs> it's a real shame. Yeah. But you know what? It's an eye opener too. Yes. And that's why your circle is so critical. Yeah. I see clients and they're not fulfilling their true potential. They're not getting to where they want to be because mm -hmm. their circle's wrong. 
Yeah. And it's difficult for me to turn around and, and say to them, your husband's an enabler. <laughs> your husband's yeah. enabling you to be fat and you need to address that. See those friends that you're running about with at the weekend mm. that all have weight issues themselves and can't deal with the fact now that you're losing weight and they're setting you up to fail every weekend. Mm -hmm. You need to address that. People's circle is so critical. Mm -hmm. But like me, you know, the more my journey went on, the more the right people came yeah. onto my path. Hmm. Be that people to coach and mentor me, or be that just friends. Yeah. Be that just people who got it. Yeah. Who understood where I was coming from and what it meant to me. And that's why some of my clients have become my closest friends. Because hmm. they get it. Yeah. You know, they're they're now on the other side of the fence and they completely get it. I mean there's a saying too, when the when the pupil's ready, the teacher appears. I love that. Yeah. I, yeah and I totally <laughs> believe that. I've had people come onto my path like Brad Burton. We both know Brad. Yeah, I mean Brad yeah. came onto my path at bang on the right time this year. <laughs> out of nowhere. Yeah. Completely out of nowhere. That guy Rehan was the same. Yeah. All these chance meetings. You know, I have people that'll come to one of my seminars and then, you know, they'll like there's a girl that came to a seminar in April who's five stone, three pounds off. She started working with me immediately after the seminar. And that's what she said to me, isn't that mad, Sam? I wasn't even going to go to that seminar. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? I'll have people saying yeah. that. I only went to your seminar because my mate wanted company. <laughs> and then they end up hearing something that they like and they sign up with me or whatever. Yeah. And I just keep saying that. Don't question it. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. It's just meant to be. The pupil's ready, teacher appears. And it's the same with your circle. Mm -hmm. The right people will come into your path at the right time. Totally. And I have faith in that now. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And if what I say or what I do, somebody doesn't like that, well, that's okay. Because other people's business, other people's opinion is none of my business. <laughs> what other people think of me is none of my yes. business. Do you know what I mean? Because that, that can't change what I'm doing. Yeah. Because some of those people who will hate on me publicly, mm -hmm will then turn around a year later and ask to work with me. They'll ask for my help. Do you know what I mean? So mm -hmm. I have to be true to my principles from yeah, that point of view. Totally. Not, every, not everybody's gonna like me and I'm cool with that. The old me wanted everybody to like me. Yes. Whereas now, that doesn't matter to me. As long as, they, as, long as the important people are happy. Exactly. That's all that matters. <laughs> Sam, I could literally speak to you for hours. I've got so many questions I want to ask you, but in the spirit of keeping things moving, well, I'm going to come to some of the, the really good deep stuff. Yeah. Um, but just, just very quickly, one piece of advice to help somebody who is overweight or struggling okay. with a weight problem. Yeah. I talk about my pillars, okay? And the first of my pillars is acceptance. Okay. So, and that maybe sounds very obvious, but it's not. Mm. It's accepting where you're actually at. That's maybe accepting the fact that you eat too much accepting the fact that you know you maybe don't get as much exercise as what you should or whatever or you don't drink any water or whatever sometimes you just need to step back and truly accept the worst thing for me is somebody coming to me and saying i really want your help sam i really and you're the man to fix me and this would be so amazing and this would change my life or whatever and i'm thinking fantastic but okay mm. i'm different because <laughs> I have a more stressful job or I have whatever. Yeah. Just be really open and honest with yourself. It's like admitting you have a problem. Mm -hmm. Okay. Mm -hmm. If you're still hiding behind, the reason you're heavy is because you don't know why because you eat nothing or whatever the case may be. Yeah. See, have that moment of acceptance where you're mm -hmm. like, do you know what? 
something I'm doing right here. Something I'm doing here isn't right. And old ways won't open new doors. Yeah. So be prepared to make change. Okay. And don't associate pain with the process. Hmm. You take somebody that's really successful in transformation or in business or in life or whatever, and they've had to do some graft and hard work to get there, but they don't associate any pain with the process. So if you're sitting and thinking, right, I need to change and I need to lose weight or whatever, but oh, I'm going to have to diet and oh, I'll not be able to go out for the beers with the boys and oh, I'm probably going to have to join a gym or whatever, and you're associating pain with that process, mm -hmm. that's what those people need to stop doing. Mm. Okay? Channel all that pain and associate that pain with staying as you are. The pain was the 21 stone, 44 inch Sam standing in the changing rooms. That became my pain. Hmm. Going to the gym and having everybody staring at me. Okay, being a wee bit hungrier than what I was used to. People see that as pain. I didn't see that as pain anymore. The pain was the person I was leaving behind. So the best bit of advice I can give to people is don't associate pain with that process of change. Mm -hmm. Associate all the pain with staying in that unhappy place that you're in. I said this a couple of weeks ago. People talk about their comfort zone. I'm in my comfort zone. Yeah. I said, That's not, there's nothing comfortable about that. There's nothing comfortable about being fat. Hmm. It's not a comfort zone. It's a misery trap. Okay. So take yourself out of that there. That's the first thing you need to do. Mm -hmm. Be prepared to make some change. Because mm -hmm. if you come to work with me and you expect to eat all the things that you used to eat, well, you're going to look the way you used to look. So yeah. be prepared for some change, but don't see it as pain. The pain is staying as you are. Such good advice. Love it. It's sensible. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. But, but it's, it's the facts that some people are missing. Yes. And it's why they end up feeling them a month or two down the line. Because mm -hmm. they're seeing themselves on a diet. They're yeah. looking for an end point. Mm -hmm. I have people that do my six-week online coaching. And they're messaging five and a half weeks in to say, is that me finished? Is that me finished? Because you just know. <laughs> you're just going to go and blow the balls out of this week. <laughs> <laughs> and, and that's a fail on my part then do you know what I mean that's what I'm saying you can take a horse to water but you can't make a drink yeah. some people you just can't help they're just not ready to help mm -hmm. whereas I have other people that'll message me to say my god I can't imagine myself eating any other way for the rest of my life because yeah. I love how this feels I love the results that it's producing mm -hmm. this is the new me and that's when I go win back of the net with that one <laughs> that's when it works yeah. it's not going to work every time mm -hmm. but in my case, it's worked a lot of times. <laughs> <laughs> oh, awesome stuff. Love it. Love it. Okay, so let's go a bit deeper. First question that I have is a staple. It's about purpose. In terms of yourself, Sam, I mean, what do you feel is your purpose in life? My purpose now, the reason I have studied so hard and worked so hard and grafted and built the gym up the way it is and built up my online business is so that I can help as many people as possible experience what I've experienced. And that maybe sounds cliche, I don't know, but it's genuinely how I feel. That's what makes me tick, mm -hmm. is getting a message from somebody to say, oh my God, because of you, I've just applied for that job <laughs> that I had no intention of doing. Because of you, my doctor has just taken me off my high blood pressure medication, mm. or I've sorted my diabetes, or because of you, Sam, I can get into a size 10, yeah. and I was a size 22. Mm -hmm. That's my purpose. That's completely my purpose. A big element that has just come in out of left field this year 
is happiness too. Mm-hmm. Because I still wasn't, you interviewed Cross, Crosley, yeah. and Cross and I had a conversation earlier this year, and Cross gave me a massive jolt because I still wasn't prioritizing happiness enough. Mm. And a lot of my coaching now with my own clients is prioritizing happiness. Happiness first and foremost, because it's all very well looking and feeling in the shape of your life, but if you're miserable, yeah. That's not the win that it could be. Yes. So that's an I feel going off the back of this year and I've crossed to thank for that. That another of my purposes in life now is to help people find happiness. Mm. Not just the body, the health and all the rest of yeah. it, but to roll a wee bit of happiness in there too. <laughs> yeah. So I've added that onto my repertoire. <laughs> <laughs> How do you think you would like to be remembered? What would you like your legacy to be? For genuinely caring and helping people mm. that are in the same situation as I was in. And I mean, I know I've lost count of the number of people that have done the big transformations under me. And that's not being boastful or big headed or anything else, but it's, mm-hmm. it's fact and you just have to go through my social media to see that. But I've lost count of the number. But I mean, if, if from day one, I had only helped one person to experience that. Mm-hmm then it would have been worthwhile, <laughs> completely worthwhile. And as Kathy said to me, Kathy's like my wee voice of reason sometimes in the background, because in the early days, you know, when you just needed somebody to say, do you know what, it's gonna be all right. You know, th- th- this too shall pass. And hmm. when things like, you know, when my ex-wife wouldn't let me see the, the girls on Father's Day or on my birthday or something like that, because it was just like a, a wee cheap shot that she could, that she could pull or whatever, just to have somebody stand there going, do you know what, it's okay. Not always be like this here. So she always keeps me right. But as she says to me, just yesterday actually, we were discussing this. Um, we were just talking about where we're going with business and all the rest of it. And I have people coming to me now, asking me to coach them with their business. I had some personal trainers come to me really? recently to say, look, could you help me grow my business the way yeah. you've grown yours? And I'm like, Phew. It's not really something I do, but yeah, okay, why not? And then I've had people, I mean, I have a, I have a client who has a makeup business that I'm now helping what? with her business. Really? Because she likes my approach and she likes how I do things or whatever. And that's what Kathy said to me. She says, it's not just about weight loss anymore, Sam. Mm-hmm. She says, you help people with so many different aspects of their life. You know, should it, should it be a guy that's going through maybe on the marital side, what I went through? Yeah. Should it be a self-esteem or a self-confidence thing or whatever? Mm-hmm. So maybe it's more now, if you'd asked me this a year ago, I would have said it's to help as many people change their body as possible mm-hmm. is what I want to be remembered for. Maybe now it's just to change their life in general. Because for me, it's so much more than just losing weight. Yes. What I've achieved personally. Yeah, yeah, totally. So if I can extrapolate that on a bit further sure, and yeah. help them get the job that they wanted and get the relationship that they wanted and feel and look better in their clothes or whatever the case may be. So I think that needs to be my legacy, helping as many people as possible experience that. Because I've been given this amazing second chance and I can't put into words how much I want that for everybody else that I come Mm -hmm. in contact with. But I mean, I've had to resign myself to the fact that not everybody will want it. 75% of them won't, but see for that 25, 
I'll go to the ends of the earth to help them get it. How, uh, do you think it is that they won't want to or they're not willing to put in what needs to, you know, or just I to think they associate that pain, I think, just yeah, what I said there. Yeah, they just associate I, so much pain. Mm-hmm. I'd love to do what you've done, Sam, but yep. there's always a but. Mm-hmm. Whereas I get people come to me and say, Sam, I'm on my hands and knees here. Mm-hmm. See whatever we need to do. Mm-hmm. Let's do it. Don't mm-hmm. care what it takes. As a guy said to me one time, you tell me to eat shit off the street, Sam, I'm doing it. <laughs> Because his job depended Jeez. on it. Okay. The gun was to his head. Mm. Do you know what I mean? He had mm. the faith in me to get him there, but all of a sudden, all his excuses peeled into insignificance because if he lost his job, he lost his house. So all of a sudden then, yes. things got real and had mm-hmm. to happen. And sometimes I'll get people coming to me and I say sometimes it takes breakdown to have breakthrough in a lot of cases. And that's mm. very, very true. I see that all mm-hmm. the time. Whereas some people, it's that quick fix. It's like me with a slim fast. It was a quick fix yeah. that didn't work, and the quick fix never works. Mm-hmm. Some people, it's got a wedding in a couple of months' time, so I'll lose a couple of stone for that there, whatever. For other people, it's just, Sam, just help me. I just can't go on like this anymore. You know, there's no wedding in six weeks. There's no Christmas party. There's no holiday next year. It's just, just help me. Yeah. Don't let me be like this a day longer than I have to be. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, for yourself then, what's your what's your North Star? Why have you not reverted to your old habits? Why have you been able to continue to do what you know, you've, you've done? I can't feel like that ever again. Okay. I can't see myself like that ever. And the more I have body dysmorphia and I see myself as fatter than what I am, mm-hmm. I can't experience that and everything that went along with it. Okay. For the simple reason that was every year unfolds away from that situation Mm -hmm. and I realise I'm a better father Mm. for not being that person. Mm -hmm. I realise I'm a better husband now to Cathy. Okay, and I look at the fun that we have in our life and I look at the things that we do and I look at all the amazing experiences that we've had. The pain for me now would be giving up on all of that. Mm. I can't go back to crying myself to sleep at night Mm -hmm. because of my weight. Mm -hmm. I can't go back to being afraid of the word fat coming up in a conversation. Mm -hmm. I can't go back to pleasing everybody else, saying yes to everybody and really saying no to myself. And Mm -hmm. that maybe sounds really selfish and maybe it is, but I can't do that to myself anymore. Mm -hmm. And that's what keeps me from going back there. I enjoy the way I eat too much to go back to eating the crap that I used to eat. I like the fact that I can sleep better now and have some energy and all the rest of it. Mm-hmm. I love my training and my exercise. I mean, the morning of our wedding, we were in the gym together training. Christmas Day, we'll be in the gym together training. <laughs> and it's not because, oh God, we need to get our workout done. It's because we love training. Mm-hmm. So I'm doing the things that I love. So why would I go back to eating crap and being lazy? Two things that I can't stand. <laughs> I spent years doing it and I can't stand them. So I've switched my mindset around to I'm doing the things I enjoy now. Mm -hmm. Going to the gym and eating well is my new Jaffa Cakes. (laughs) It's as simple (laughs) as that. That's what I take my pleasure from now. And if if I'm having a tough day, if I'm having whatever, I know now that nothing will work better than... Kathy and I going surfing, or Kathy and I going for a walk, or whatever the case may be. Yeah. I know that that physically works. Mm-hmm. The twin pack of Jaffa cakes never worked. Yeah. It just made me feel guilty and ashamed. Whereas I've actually found something that works. Yeah. <laughs> how, how do you define success? 
if you'd asked me this a while back, it would be the size of your house, your car. Yeah. Your, you and I are under our watches, so yeah. it would be your watch or whatever. <laughs> I would have thought that was success, to be honest with you. And don't get me wrong, I I like nice things and I respect people that, that have worked hard for nice things too. Mm -hmm. But I think success for me now lies in exactly what we just talked about in happiness. Yeah. And again... I mean, this is an ever-evolving journey that I'm on and I'm constantly saying there's no finish line. A year ago, I wouldn't have given you that answer. Hmm. Success would have been me making the business as successful as possible. Okay. But that could have come at the expense of my happiness. Mm. So for me now, I believe success is happiness because yeah. I'm experiencing happiness now on a level that I never thought possible. <laughs> never thought possible. And it gets more amazing every month. All these new things start to happen, all these new people, yourself, supreme example, <laughs> come into my path and I'm starting to properly experience happiness. So for me, success is happiness. So and that's not translated to a bank balance, mm -hmm. which mm -hmm. a few years ago I would have said it would be. Yeah. It's all about being happy. <laughs> that was so good. Sam, if you had the opportunity to speak to your twenty year old self. Mm -hmm. What would you say? I was just going to think, what's, would that have been around the time that you were applying for the police? Yeah, just shortly after. Well, that's a good question. Yeah. <laughs> mm. Whether I would have listened or not is another matter. Yeah. But my 20-year-old self, get fit and healthy. Mm -hmm. Because that has opened so many doors for me and brought me so much happiness. Be fit and healthy and do what's right for you. So forget about what's right for everybody else. Forget about what sounds like it's right. Forget about what other people are thinking or might be thinking or whatever. And just be true to yourself, number one. Hmm. Don't say yes to other people when it means saying no to yourself. Because I was so, so guilty of that. Mm -hmm. So guilty of that. So it's, it's deep. But for me personally, that would have been a big thing. If I'd had the courage to say no, Mm -hmm. and I had the sense and the foresight to take better care of my health mm. and get fit and get healthy and experience all that has come off the back of that now. Mm -hmm. Not from a business point of view. I mean, I have people say to me, God, I bet you wish you were doing this in your 20s now or whatever. And There's no point in me looking at it like that now. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? So not from a business point of view, mm -hmm. but just getting fit and healthy because of how... I know it's the right thing for my body and I know how it makes me feel now and I can only imagine in my 20s how amazing that would have been yeah. and where that might have taken me. Yeah. So that would be the advice I'd give my 20-year-old self. But like the, my 20-year-old self would have been very reluctant to take that well, advice. Well, yeah, that's it, exactly. It's almost like you have to uncover this stuff for yourself. It's all yeah, part of the, but it's, the journey. I, I don't know if it, was, if it was Northern Ireland then, if it was my upbringing, my family or whatever, but... I just couldn't think on that scale mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. back then. Mm -hmm. It was about getting a decent car and having a decent wee job and all the rest of it. I just yeah. couldn't think on that on that massive scale. Do you know mm -hmm. what I mean? Where I look at it now and I'm like, I want to do seminars in Edinburgh. I want to do seminars in London. Mm -hmm. I said to Cathy yesterday, what about Dubai? What about going to Dubai and <laughs> doing a Sam Connolly seminar right there? You know, the 20-year-old me, I, I couldn't have thought on that scale. Or anywhere near it. Yeah. I was so closed 
in my mind it was unreal. Mm-hmm. I hadn't a clue how big. I mean, at twenty year old, at twenty years of age, I had been on a holiday to Tenerife with one of my mates at eighteen, and apart from that, I'd been to Scotland a couple of times and I'd been to England. That was the extent of my travelling. Mm-hmm. I couldn't go to the south of Ireland because of my father's job. You weren't allowed to cross the border and the southern Ireland. So it was only when I went on a school rugby trip to okay. Dublin that was the first time I'd ever been in Southern Ireland. So. You know, at age 20, I hadn't even started to experience the world. Mm. So maybe that would be another bit of advice I'd give to myself. Get out there and see the world. Because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. it's such a big place. <laughs> and I was missing out so much I didn't realise. Yeah. Yeah, completely. It's a perfect segue into my last question. My secret weapon. <laughs> if you could change... You got me worried now. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the question is, if you could change anything in the world, what would it be and why? At the minute... Childhood obesity. Okay. I would okay. definitely, that worries me. That worries me massively, the trend that I'm seeing. I'm seeing a trend of childhood obesity in general. I'm seeing things like energy drinks. I'm seeing children going to school mm-hmm. with bottles and cans of energy drinks at half past eight in the morning. Mm. And I just really fear for where it's all heading in terms of I think diabetes is going to explode, absolutely explode, for one thing. I dread to think what size some of these kids are going to end up. Mm -hmm. I dread to think, is there some of them that are going to hit their late teens and their life basically be over? Because they're going to get so big. Mm -hmm. The the message that's out there is so flawed. Mm -hmm. Um, Everything has been geared up towards making the problem worse, I feel. Mm-hmm. instead of making it better. Um, we have this mentality now where you're not allowed to say that something's wrong in yeah. case you offend somebody yeah. or you hurt their feelings. I mean, I've gone to Facebook and I, I remember putting a post up one morning to say I'm seeing kids going to school eating like sausage rolls from a deli counter and washing it down with a, a bottle of Boost or a Ten mm-hmm. a monster or something like mm-hmm. that, and I'm saying, I actually done a video, I done a video on the subject, and it wasn't to be patronising or anything else, but I was saying to parents, look, maybe you don't understand what's in these. Yeah. You know, maybe you're letting them have it because you just genuinely don't understand that. Mm-hmm. You know, that one there, it's maybe the equivalent of two shots of espresso mm-hmm. that your thirteen-year-old <laughs> is drinking at half eight in the morning, and if it was two shots of espresso, I'm sure you wouldn't dream of letting them have it. So, yeah. you know, maybe just a wee bit of education for you. Mm-hmm. And the backlash I got, I mean, I had parents messaging me to say, oh my God, that's unreal. Do more of that stuff because that's, I had no idea and I'm going to make sure okay. that he or she's not drinking that. But I had parents message me to say, don't you dare tell me what my kids can eat or drink and it's our money and we'll do with wherever we want or whatever. So, mm. so I'm really fearful going forward of where that mentality is yeah. going to lead us. I see it with people coming to me to be coached who are parents to some of these children who could be in that situation. Mm-hmm. And people are so lazy. And I'm not just talking about exercise. Mm. In terms of meal preparation, if you can't stab your fork in it and stick it in the microwave, it doesn't get eaten. <laughs> you know, there's no such thing as sitting down and eating a family meal mm-hmm. that you have cooked from scratch anymore. Mm. The trend is turning drastically in the wrong direction. And that's. It's something, maybe it's because of where I came from myself and what I went through, maybe that's why it strikes such a chord with me. Yeah. But that's something I'm really, really fearful for. 
really fearful for. And I don't know how it can be tackled. I don't know if it will be tackled. Yeah. But that's something that I try and do on whatever level that I can. Mm -hmm. But it needs to be a global approach to it, I yeah. think. Certainly a national approach. Definitely. But that's if I could if I could wave a magic wand today and fix something, mm -hmm. it would be to stop any kids going through what I went through. Yeah. Big mm -hmm. time. Powerful answer. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Sam, I've absolutely loved this. I could honestly sit and chat to you for hours and hours and hours. I feel and like sure I've, known you, I've known you for years. <laughs> yeah. I genuinely feel as if I have. <laughs> it's been so good. And I, I just want to thank you so much, firstly, for coming. Yeah, uh, it's a pleasure. Yeah, Absolute and, pleasure. and also just for, for your honesty and your openness. And I think uh, what you've done and what you're doing is absolutely just incredible. So. Thank you very much indeed. That means a lot to it's me. It's a pleasure. Yeah, really means a lot. Thank you, sir. <laughs> thank, thank you, Sam. <laughs> Cheers. You've been listening to Inspired Edinburgh. If you enjoyed this, please subscribe for more powerful conversations. Thank you for taking the time to listen to our show and we'll see you at the next episode.